Let's go through uh, the three readings, uh, scripture readings today. The first one is found in your Pew Bible, page 739. It's Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness from the prisoners. And then the second one is found in your Pew Bible, page 585. It's Psalm chapter 85, verse 8 to 13. Here it goes. I will listen to what Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. And in New Testament, Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31 to 36. In your Pew Bible, 1060. Verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold on to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we, will be, we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in a family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be set free indeed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't think I need the mic, right? Yeah, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's such a great joy as well as a privilege for me to share God's word with you this morning. Um, some of you may have known me. Uh, as a matter of fact, Knox Church, Knox Presbyterian Church, is my first church ever in Toronto. I stepped my foot in. Uh, the first one I attended 
and has now become our home church. By God's grace and miracle, I found this uh, Knox Presbyterian Church among a vast array of bigger and smaller churches in the city of Toronto. Its diverse, vibrant, and young community uh, has definitely drawn me closer to stay on with this church. Sometimes I imagine it gives me a foretaste of what such discipleship living should be like in heaven. We, we keep practicing, um, meeting very different people and how to interact, build relationships with them. For the last couple of years, I visit quite a number of other Presbyterian churches in Toronto and around GTA, mainly as guest speaker, guest preacher. And special thanks to Pastor Phil today and also the elders in this congregation for inviting me to preach and to minister this Sunday service. So in case people don't know me, just further a little introduction about myself. I came from Hong Kong to Toronto about three years ago when I began my seminary study just across the street at uh, Knox College. I didn't exactly know what kind of plan God has in store for me at the time. Yet, I felt a strong urge to be called to serve Him where I may use my personal gifts to make a difference for His kingdom. So both of us constantly thank God for his providence in the midst of our new adventure in this new land, Canada. I have recently graduated from Master of Divinity program at Knox College back in uh, this May. As some of you may know, such programs um, uh, kind of difficult uh, to me. Um, it required learning biblical languages, most commonly Hebrew or, and or Greek. And for this reason, uh, the previous summer, I took an intensive course in New Testament Greek, where we had to memorize tons of grammar and vocabulary in a matter of months, so that eventually we'll be able to read the original Greek scripture. As stressful as it may sound, I do enjoy the process, by the way, because I simply love learning new languages. By the way, I'm learning Korean now. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the class there started by studying the Gospel of John, just like what we've read today, chapter by chapter. In the Gospel of John, do you know there is a Greek word that appeared very frequently, uh, appeared 25 times in the Gospel of John alone? That word is, in Greek, aletheia. Aletheia. Do you know what that means? Do you know that the, the songs were sung? The topic we, uh, we address now is... Uh, living freely in the truth. So, aletheia means 
truth. It appears 25 times in that single book. It's essentially the central theme of uh, John's Gospel, Aletheia, maybe interpreted as the content of the Christian revelation, whether it be used as a person, as a body of teaching, or as a way of life. As such, I would like to take this opportunity today for all of us to examine one of Jesus' more famous quotes found in John. The truth will set you free. Actually, it very uh, resonate the, the lyrics just now is for freedom that I will be set free. Set free, so powerful and enticing. It connects freedom and truth Few words that are so common while carrying so much weight. Freedom means a lot of things to many people. Today, this popular statement, the truth will set you free, is not only used in religious or in, in the church context only, but more used in a political context. It may be referred to freedom from political oppression, or freedom from deprivation of human rights. And in the first century, actually the Jews asking Jesus had understood it that way too. Now we can say Canada doesn't have slavery. It has abolished, institutionalized slavery anymore. And there is no outward persecution per se in our modern societies. Instead, individualism is the social norm for many developed countries, including Canada. We all have the rights to make our own choices and decisions based on our free will. We are free to vote, free to travel, free to choose what kind of work we want to do, free to choose what kind of religion we believe, free as to how we spend our money and resources. And we, by and large, we extol the value of the free press, freedom of expression here. So these so-called physical, political, and social freedoms are all good things, right? We are blessed to be able to live in a country that upkeeps these good values and systems. But to me, the question is, by exercising our free will, are we really free? Our consumer culture likes to glorify freedom a lot. Its interpretation of freedom is very simple. You're free to do anything you want. You deserve to have anything you want. So there are some young people here today, also some not so young people, including myself. So maybe I'm old school, but don't you recall a legendary slogan by Nike? I think it still applies today, but Nike advertisement slogan, do you know what that is? Just do it, yeah, it's still, 
uh, I mean, still a hit today. <laughs> so just do it. It's so simple. Just do it. Satisfying your wants and desires will set you free. Or will it? And in recent years, people start to talk more about financial freedom too. They equate having more money to attaining more freedom. In order to achieve this, this capitalistic society we're in is telling them to get the best possible education, to work hard, and to save as much as they can while they can. Therefore, people, many people, would devote their whole lives accumulating their wealth, carefully holding it. To be honest, I'm no exception, especially I come from Hong Kong. Increasing our wealth will set us free, or will it? We often hear people who say, non-Christians or, yeah, mostly, I'm already free. I'm already free. It's you Christians who are all tied up in moral knots. I just do what I feel like doing. And I'm thankful for a country where I can do it. And that's all the freedom I care about. It does seem to make some sense to them, doesn't it? Probably Satan's most effective tool is to make people think they are free, where in fact they are bound, they're slaves. We will agree that we live in a society that idolizes our freedom to choose. Could it be that we are choosing to be the children of Satan? and not even know it. So what does it really mean by the freedom and the truth of which Jesus spoke? Everyone loves the notion of freedom, don't we? Interestingly enough, in the Greek class I just mentioned, the first Greek verb, and it's different tenses, they're, they're like seven or eight tenses in Greek. We had to memorize there's the first Greek verb. It's called luo. Luo. Anybody know, anybody is Greek? No. It's the lyrics today. Literally, it means loosen or set free. Luo. We all want to be set free. If the opposite is bondage and slavery, I reckon nobody here wants that. Yet, you and I may be enslaved to some habits or patterns no one here wants to hear. 
and you may be enslaved to some habits that may seem very pleasurable. Having the absolute autonomy without any restraint is actually a very attractive thought. The paradox is that we may be heading to a destructive path if we seek to obtain such absolute freedom. We may be missing the point. True freedom is not choice or lack of constraint. There is a distinction between the enjoyment of true freedom and the mere possession of free will. Not that free will or independence from tyranny is a bad thing. They're just not true freedom. In fact, the true freedom Jesus is speaking refers to the freedom from sin. So in verse 35, we read, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And also in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As we are all aware, this is a Presbyterian church. Evidently, some of us in this congregation are proud to be Presbyterians. I can come to speak for you today because I, I belong to the Presbyterian family now. No doubt, Presbyterian Church has inherited a lot of wonderful traditions. What matters much more here is, is doctrinal tradition. And one of the more notable doctrines Presbyterians follow is the total depravity by John Calvin. Total depravity states that as a consequence of the fall of man, every person born into the world is enslaved to the service of sin as a result of their fallen nature. Therefore, there is no exception, no escaping away from destiny. Sin is so permeating in our hearts, in our minds, that there is no way to stop from sinning. We Christians are no different. I would say we are, we are still selfish, hideous hypocrites. I believe only if we, realized, if we realize how enslaved we are to the sin, we will be only able to grasp this very truth. More oppressive than any kind of physical slavery is the spiritual slavery that comes from being a sinner ourselves. Too often, sin is a word that is used by the powerful to shame and to control those with less power. 
Too often, sin is used to point the finger at someone else's behavior rather than looking at our own failures. The other sign of the coin, sinlessness. Or rather, I would say, perfection, often translates into some form of standard or fresh, threshold, benchmark for us to achieve in our success-driven society. As Christians in particular, I would challenge us to ask if we have developed a private identity of ourselves, that deep down we think we are better people than non-Christians because we just do more good deeds, we come to church regularly, sin less than others. From another angle, I like to see the word sin as brokenness. We will agree, really, we live in a world of brokenness. We are all broken. Some of us live with so much pain that they no longer pray for a longer life, but a shorter one. And some of us are caught in an endless cycle of believing that the clothes we put on each morning for work or school will somehow make us more valuable and attractive to the people around us. And there are those of us who have just simply given up, given up hope in ever overcoming our addiction or discovering meaning in our lives. This is all the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. In all of this, the human heart remains free free to choose whatever it desires. But the catch is, human heart is corrupted and enslaved by evil. So the only thing it ends up desire is evil. All our thoughts, words, actions are tainted in various degrees with our private sin and rebellion against God. So even though we are free to choose, we only freely choose sin all the time. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 2, it reads, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And also in Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So combining these messages, it is clear, the only way for us to be free from the bondage of sin is through Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the ultimate Eleutheia. The truth is about knowing Him, believing in Him, trusting in Him, and then, as Jesus said, the truth will set you free. I think there's a fine line between accepting others' beliefs versus synthesizing new beliefs. So we are all held responsible for adhering to the core Christian faith. That is, Jesus died for our sins, and He is the only way. I believe there is only one God, one Eletheia, that transcends above all else. While it may sound politically incorrect to some sense, all other spiritual and religious beliefs other than the Christian faith are just lies or half-truths at best, all schemed and twisted by the forces of Satan. There is no muddling around. Openness and acceptance does not change the reality of what Jesus described. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So we may be living in a broken, dark age. I tend to think where wisdom is confused with information. Truth is problemized as spin. Faith is ridiculed as superstition. And language is tightly controlled Reason is shut down by weaponized emotion. And even Christians can easily turn bewildered too. How do we show to one another that we know the truth? Jesus gave an succinct answer. If you abide in my teachings, then you will know the truth. By abiding in his word, we will be penetrated by his truth. The truth is able to distinguish righteous anger and defensiveness between love and addiction, between kindness and wanting something in return, between materialism and blessing between selfish and joyful in the Lord. As Jesus promised, he can truly set us free. Bear in mind, this, he talks about freedom from sin, not absence of sin. Once he, we grasp hold of the love of Christ that sets us all free. We should not only have immense joy, 
but also be afraid no more. Simply put, truth is freedom, and freedom is truth. Having said that, we do have to keep a vigilant watch on the temptations and witnesses to which we will become slaves in our own lives. All other freedoms are ultimately illusions. Rather than free to do anything, we are free not to do anything by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only then we'll be freely living in the truth. As the scripture promised, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. Shall we pray together? Dear Lord, thank you for the truth, your truth, the truth of your word which has set us free. May we discern the truth and commit to the only truth. We know that there is no freedom except in you. Continue your work in our lives so that we can demonstrate the truth of Jesus Christ and to everyone we encounter. Guard us and protect us from the lack of faith, lack of truth in this world. May we keep living freely in your truth. In your holy name we pray, amen.